Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi everyone, this is Rohit from Life Self Mastery and I'm excited to have Amo, who's the CEO and co-founder of Boomerang. Uh, Boomerang created the email productivity extension as a SaaS product category back in 2010. Boomerang helps its customers focus on email that matters, when it matters, and the company's tools allow for reading and responding to messages faster and more decisively than before. Mo is an alumni of MID. Welcome to the show, Mo. Thank you for having me, Rohit. Awesome. So, you know, um, you have an interesting journey. You've been part of uh, Boomerang for, uh, for quite some time. How did you start with the idea of Boomerang? I think when we started it, we were getting to a point in our career where we were doing more of the email follow-up and managing our inboxes than doing our real job. I think you can probably <laughs> relate when, you know, at a certain point in your career that became your primary t- like way of spending your time at work. So we were basically scratching our own itches, right? And we realized that there was not much innovation being done in the email space because it was 30, 40 years old technology, despite its growing significance in our work life. So right. we decided that, hey, like nobody is solving it. And we want this problem to be solved, at least for our own daily life. Let's build it. So we were three co-founders who are all tinkerers, productivity geeks, and always tweaking our own workflow. So it was just mostly a need for ourselves. Interesting. And, you know, uh, I always wondered why Gmail did not, or Google did not build a, build a product. Uh, and, you know, were you, were you terrified that, you know, Gmail will build something uh, one day? I think Gmail was just starting out too, right? So when we started building Boomerang, Gmail was only three, four years old. So they were already considered the new innovation because everybody was starting to get used to the idea of being on a webmail client because Outlook was the primary business tool at the time. And the major innovation that they brought was having the threaded conversations and then having labels instead of folders and people were just starting to adjusting to it. So I think we were quite early even for Gmail to be starting to think about the business problems that, you know, we were trying to solve. Mm. Got it. Interesting. And, um, uh, you know, but before the call, I talked about I've been part of a SaaS company, which which grew slowly. But and I've used your product before, so it's always great to you know meet founders who whose product I've used before. But uh, you know, uh, Boomerang went uh, just raised four hundred thousand dollars, which is a very small amount for for a company which is based in the in the Silicon Valley, uh, sorry, in the US, and it's used worldwide. How did it grow to ten million dollar profit with only four hundred thousand dollars in funding? I think. For us, it's a lot of focused discipline and hard work and just listening to our customers. So there is a lot of the time where we were tempted to do, you know, faster growth, but we know that it's important to have sustainable growth and sustainable operations, right? Because we didn't want to keep raising funding and living on the 18 months funding life cycles that a lot of Silicon Valley startup companies ended up in. 
we ended up just kind of following customer revenue and making sure that everything we build is bringing significant value to our customer lives that they are very comfortable paying. So I think just, you know, incredible focus on customer needs is how we can get to where we are. Got it. Interesting. And, um, and you know, you, you do slowly, but if you could go back, uh, would you, would you look at doing it differently or is it, would you want to keep it, you know, at a slow pace? I think it all depends on, you know, circumstances and timing, right? A lot of things in life is timing. So if we were starting Boomerang in a different time, like later on, maybe 2015, 2016, that might've been a different path. So it's hard to tell, right? So again, like if you were trying to start it in 2020, 2021, everybody is raising tons and tons of funding and everything is, you know, rosy. But if you're starting a company in 2022, October, November, or current time, that's a different story too. So it's really a matter of, you know, circumstances, luck, and timing. Mm, got it. Interesting. Um, and, you know, what do you think are some of the disadvantages of not, not raising funding? Um, obviously, that you know, everybody talks about the advantages, but are there any disadvantages? I think... The primary disadvantage is it's hard to get press to pay attention to what we are doing, regardless of how innovative or significant our uh, products are. You generally don't get the recognition of the innovations that we brought into the into the world, um, right? Despite changing the way people use email, snooze was not a concept that anybody knows until the warning came along. We showed the world this is the thing that you need. And people started using it. It started to grow. And then, you know, people started copying. And now it's in every major email platform has a function of snooze. And it's gone even beyond email, right? If you go to Trello, if you go to Slack, there's the concept of I can deal with this message right now, bring it back to me later. And that's a world-changing idea and a concept that we didn't have until Boomerang came along. And but you wouldn't see us on like any of the like 30 under 30 or top innovative company list in the, you know. So I guess my advice for, you know, a future founder is like if those kinds of recognitions and accolades are important to you, I wouldn't recommend the route we took. Yeah. Um, if you want to change the world by making your ideas into reality, you can do it without funding, right? Because the myth around the Silicon Valley is that if you want to have a huge impact, you have to raise funding so that you can grow really fast and take over. And I think it's conflating two things that usually correlate, but they are not causal. What I mean by that is like, there are many things that, especially recently, they grew really, really fast, spending so much funding and they are unsustainable and profitable growth. But when the funding dries up, they collapse, right? And this yeah. is the current environment, what you're seeing right now. Because they didn't grow their business on sound business practices. And for us, we took a long time. That's the other thing is you have to have patience. That's the other disadvantage of not taking on funding is you must have patience and really love what you do, right? This is not a 
three to five year timeline we are talking about. We need to really believe in what we are building and and actually having fun while doing it because that's how we can be still together. Three co-founders after 12 years still working on the same company is pretty much unheard of. So, but we can do that because we love what we do and we are building things that we truly want the world to have. So I think my thought is you can have a huge impact on how people work or how, you know, an industry think about a specific problems, how to solve large impact problems. You can introduce those ideas with or without funding if you have enough patience and stamina to keep going at it. Hmm. Got it. Got it. Interesting. And, and you know, uh, obviously, uh, you, you start off with your co-founders, now you got a large team, but now how do you, how do you look at hiring you know, top talent? What, what do you look for you know, developers and people in the revenue team? And, and how do you, how do you test for them? So for every single role, we work backward from what the role needs. So we actually look at every single new job description is, uh, exercise in, you know, backward calculation of what we, what do we need? What are the qualities? We clearly outline the qualities and the skills we need. And then from that, we actually design the individual interview sessions and first thing we write out is this session is going to test for either the skills or this quality in the person. And then how does it do that? So we are very like, um, what's the point of this <laughs> as a mentor in a company? So we actually, okay, we're going to hire a data science person. So we want them to be able to make an argument or you know, spot a flaw argument in a data interpretation. So we would actually design a data set for them to, and then make an argument out of that data set. So it takes a lot of work. That's basically the gist is like, we think through what we are trying to screen for or test for, and then actually put in the work to like design the session exactly that's going to target what we are looking for. And then we also have core values that we've been continually updating for the company since founding. And we, as part of the interview sessions, everybody is looking out for those core values and people put in their interpretation or their you know, understanding of how well of a fit they are to our core value. So we don't do the the, you know, the generally very vague term of culture fit, because culture fit can be people are just looking for other people who look like them, who think like them, right, have the same hobbies. That's, I don't think that's what we're looking for. We're looking for, do you value the same values that we want? So for us, we have a very specific set. We look for earnest, we look for people who are earnest, who are collaborative, who are focused on the process, and who wants to make thoughtful progress every day. And these are like the four major sections that we look at and kind of like, hey, if we are not, you know, passing a candidate because of a major reflect on their anti-collaborative behavior, it's very specific. You can't introduce too much bias when you are talking about a specific behavior or the way they conduct themselves that are in alignment with or opposite of what our core values are. 
got it very interesting i uh, i like the you know the culture piece and how uh, you looking at introducing employees who, who imbibe those values and uh, you know other other than experience you know what are the other things you know uh, a founder should should look at uh, in order to you know onboard a employee i think you know like for leadership roles and soft skills experience definitely matters more but for us it's like values alignment and how much they believe in the mission and what we are building so there are a lot of different options right now right like if you are a developer if you are a designer there is such a large number of options to go work for so why would somebody come and work for us they have to really bought into why we are building these things what kind of changes and in, like impact we want to have into people's lives and i think a significant portion of our team has previously been users or customers of our products even before they joined the team and i think that totally shows in the way that we build the products the way that we treat our customers to have an interesting stat for you to denote that the founder of beautiful lives increased the social media presence by 10x they managed to publish consistently and effortlessly using a robust social media management tool called social pilot social pilot is a cost effective social media tool that helps businesses scale their social media marketing efforts use lifestylemastery.com/socialpilot to get a 14 day free trial correct just and um and, you know I've, i've been into into tech startups and it's always important to uh, even for for your team to conduct uh, the performance reviews so how how do you look at conducting the performance reviews or should you do it monthly quarterly yearly yeah. we try to keep it really lightweight and frequent because we believe that going uh closer to the cycle is better than waiting for a whole year and do this you know 15 page review right so we have this thing called quarterly sit down which is only one page uh both the employee and the manager write their own uh is basically like you know one sheet of paper with two sided right from the manager's point of view what they are seeing and what they want the employee to work on and then from the employer's employee side also is you know hey this is what we made progress on this is what i want to keep working on and kind of like making sure that we are in sync from both side of the coin um and then we have an annual performance review so like we have three quarterly sit down and then at the end of the quarter four is the annual review and that one is a little bit longer and has more segments like core value alignments and professional goals and kind of stretch goals what they want to stretch themselves on um i think for us is like and that's like in a formal part but there's also the very informal things are happening giving each other feedback um my first job out of college was at sapien and they were this like exemplary company when it comes to giving direct honest transparent feedback as has happened so like as a new college grad out of college 22 year old i have been able to walk into a vp's office and like hey you know this uh client 
workshop that we had at this session, you said this, and I'm not sure like that's the right thing to do. And it was a totally okay environment. So I, it's always been my goal to recreate that type of atmospheres. And also I have to model that by, you know, giving quick light feedback when somebody is not going along with the crowd, right? So if somebody's bringing up something that may be uncomfortable and they are putting themselves out there, I want to make sure that they know, like, the team appreciates them taking a stand and making sure that. So very like as a very specific example I can give is we were doing an interview and somebody wrote, you know, basically a counter trend feedback to everybody else was giving us a candidate a certain score. And she was basically the main outlier. And she was comfortable doing that because she doesn't feel like she needs to hold back her opinion, even if it's not in line with everybody else. And I messaged her immediately. I saw this. I appreciate you, you know, putting yourself out there and be willing to go against the grain when you notice something. So I think that kind of like daily small interactions encourages people to have a more transparent and honest environment. Mm, got it. Yeah. I mean, because, um, you know, I struggle with giving, you know, honest feedback uh, to to somebody who reports to me or even to a colleague, you know, maybe, you know, any, any suggestions for me on, or for the founders on how to create that, you know, that environment of safety uh, so that uh, the managers can be transparent and honest. Yeah, I think first, the first thing is, you know, assume good intent on everybody, right? So when you're trying to get feedback, I have to, like, I've been working with my own CEO coach on this too, to start with good intent, to start with come from a place of curiosity so if you are giving feedback, at least, you know, just go, don't go straight into, Hey, this doesn't work. It sucks. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Instead, Hey, I saw you approach it this way, which is not how I would approach. So it was very clear and transparent that like, I'm not just trying to be super nice and make it all vague. Right. I will start with, Hey, you approach it this way. This is not how I would approach so help me understand where you're coming from. And that kind of phrasing, like I, I literally have to practice with my CEO coach on like, what are the phrases I would say? Because it doesn't come naturally to me either. Yeah. I'm be on the other end, like I get super direct and I go like, that doesn't work. What are you doing? <laughs> yeah. I have to learn to go from, you know, assuming good intent and start to place of curiosity and what are the phrases and opening phrases that I have to learn? Because when you're starting an encounter or like a feedback session like that, the first thing you said totally matter. It sets the tone. It says how they are going to receive your feedback. And then when I see my, you know, team members doing that type of feedback, I want, I go out of my way to, encourage and tell them how much I appreciate they are doing that type of feedback and make it visible to other people. Interesting. Maybe, maybe, you know, I should plan uh, uh, to say, you know, uh, <laughs> what to speak with my managers and um, yeah. people who report to me. Uh, uh, no, no, that's pretty useful. And, uh, and, you know, uh, Boomerang has been uh, working remotely, but, 
uh, and it's something which is which is a new phenomena. People have started going back into the hybrid mode, but but does remote work really help in increasing productivity? You know, what are your thoughts on that? I think there are upsides and downsides to this, just like anything that we are doing, right? The upsides are yes, people are not suffering their commutes, and there yeah. is real research out there on you know how much of a like 40 minutes commute is I think equivalent to making like $20,000 more or something. So there is like real happiness boost from avoiding commute. Right. But at the same time, um, there is the accountability portion, right? So does it matter how many hours they work if they are getting the work that you need them to get done? And then there's the other part of like people can, kind of forget about the work-life separation and kind of work kind of bleeds into every day because there is no separation, right? You wake up, your computer is right there, you're jumping in, kind of stretch it out, especially if you have multiple time zones. And then, you know, before you know it, you're answering work email at family dinner at 7.30. And I don't think that's like... It does, is it a good thing? Is it a bad thing? It depends on how people, how leaders view what their companies to be. For me, I think we should hold our own, you know, line of one work is done is really done. So I made a habit of making sure that I never send email after hours, even if I want to send, or if I'm like, I, I have a, occasional insomnia habit. So like if I'm waking up at two, for some reason, I make sure the emails are scheduled to arrive at a sensible time for their time zone. So remote work can get very overwhelming and like take over your whole life. If the organization doesn't set proper boundaries and the leaders don't kind of promote and model good behaviors. So I think that part is harder in productivity in the sense of like people are just like all constantly connected to Slack and email. Um, and then the good parts is, you know, you have more flexibility, especially people with young kids. I'm a mom with young kids. They are, there is more flexibility into my schedule, what I can, you know, go pick up the kid if they're sick or any kinds of any special parent teacher conferences, things like that are a little bit more flexible to deal with than when you have to go somewhere, you know, that's not your house, have to come back, commute, all those stuff. So I think the time that we save on commute can be used more productively in a way that still makes sense to your family and the company culture. Got it. Interesting. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I researched that uh, you took a break in 2019 and 20, uh, and it's very interesting that you you came back, but but what, what can a founder do to ensure that, you know, they don't burn out? Uh, burnout, unfortunately, has happened to me and because I've been into startups such a long time, but, uh, yeah. but any, any thoughts for founders, employees? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, taking self-call seriously is something that we didn't do. That's why I had to, I was taking a break in 2019 because like it was eight years eight and a half years into founder journey and I was just like the responsibility fatigue is real for founders right because you're responsible all the time and we didn't 
Like we didn't take vacations for the first three years and that's not healthy. And then after that, we did a little bit better. And then the other part that I recommend is having other founder friends for moral support and community because um, founder's journey is lonely. You, it's harder to kind of like, you know, when you're working at a big company, right? You're some senior manager or something in some big company, you have colleagues to commiserate with, complain, whatever it is that you do. when you're a founder, that pool is very little because your co-founders are your support system and that's it because they know what's going on at the company. They know the challenges that you are um, having, but you can't really share every single thing that on your mind with everybody on your team all the time. So that's one thing that we, I at least my I personally didn't do very well the first time around is I didn't have a community of founder friends. And this one, I came back in. Now I have uh, two different circles of founder network. One is through my MIT alumni network, uh, MIT circle of founders. And then I kind of collected a a personal advisory board of sorts, right? Other women founders that I've been known, like we know each other forever, maybe two, three companies ago. (laughs) And you know, they may or may not be founders anymore, but they know the struggles and the the kind of concerns that you have. So leaning onto folks who understand is a big, big way to make sure that you don't burn out. And then making sure for me is everything is about daily habits. So making sure that I have time in my daily routine to have, you know, time for practicing yoga, time for taking a walk. I have a very strict, I take lunch hour every day, uh, the whole hour, no work. I heat up food, eat, go take a walk 30 minutes. And, you know, is you have to build that in and you have to make it non-negotiable. Like self-care should be non-negotiable because sometimes as founders, we're like, oh, I could just do this one more thing. You know, oh, it's okay if I don't do yoga today, I'll do it tomorrow. And that can kind of bleeds into never taking rest and time for yourself. And it's especially worse when you have, you know, family and young kids and <laughs> and pandemic on top of it. It's been crazy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, I, I, I moved to UK a couple of years back and uh, I've been part of Pavilion, uh, a big shout out to them as well as Beyond Deck. Uh, mm-hmm. and I think that, that community is, is important. Uh, about, are, are there any specific communities like you talked about MIT, but are there any like the CEO networks which you would like to you know, give a shout out to? I haven't been part of the, I my co-founder, Alex, when he was CEO for the Boomerang, he had a, I think it's like CEO Alliance or something. And uh-huh. it's, yeah, he was a part of that. I've been getting a lot out of my MIT circle. It's been a great, you know, it's about eight founders together in a similar stage or so in different industries that we are not all in like SaaS, so we are not all in just software. But mm-hmm. it's great to have, you know, a steady group of people that meets every two weeks, talk through. And then the personal network, I am a part of a women angel investors group called Angels.VC. And yeah. 
it's a little bit more of a looser connection. Um, so they have a monthly meeting, but it's more like, hey, I have this, you know, questions or, hey, do you guys know somebody? So it's more of a looser networking. And then the personal advisory board, I highly recommend every founders to like kind of collect along the way. Like they may, some of them may not even be founders. Right. They have been former founders now that are now moving on to a different career, right? Elizabeth Yin, that we were talking about our mutual friend, like she is, I consider her part of my personal advisory board, right? If I'm looking right. through something or something that is slightly tricky, I will kind of like use her as a sounding board, like, you know, hey, I'm thinking about this. What do you think? What have you seen? And that's been helpful. Yeah, no, no, uh, I think. Uh... Uh, big shout out to Elizabeth and she's been she's been very kind enough to introduce me to a lot of guests and uh, I love that Huffle fund the Huffle culture and how they're trying to you know bring more angel investors in, into the group and uh, and you talked about you know personal advisors do you, do you have like a cadence where you you know like like on a CRM tool you reach out to your advisors or is it like more random where you know you reach out when you reach out I think it's about, it depends, right? Some depends on the context. Um, and then there's a lot of mutual like introductions that we need to make. So things kind of comes up more randomly. But if I haven't talked to somebody for a couple months, I try to make sure, hey, how are you doing or what's going on and try to keep up with them. I think if you go beyond a couple months, it's a little bit harder to warm back up. Mailman is a email assistant that shields you from unimportant emails, minimizing interruptions and making your days calmer and more productive. You can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM, uh, which gives you the benefit of 15% off for the first year on the annual plan, uh, which already has 20% discounted compared to the monthly plan. So you can visit mailmanhq.com and use the code LSM. And, uh, and you know, uh, interesting thing about Boomerang is you've been uh, you've been building schools in Burma and donating to academic labs, working on climate change. Uh, is mm -hmm. it a conscious decision to give back to the to the society, or uh, you know, is the company moving towards climate change? Uh, so when we started the company, as part of the company, I guess charters, we said we we're going to donate back to education when we make profits. And you know, we were just young and have no idea what we were doing. And we have that intention and we didn't know if we were ever, you know, going to become profitable. Right. And then when we did become profitable, we look and consider how to give back. Um, so I grew up in Burma and I got the college education that I got because some, you know, generous donor who I never met scholarship fund for students from developing work. Right. And, I had no personal connection to him or his organization or even cultural overlap, but he looked through and decided that, you know, students from developing countries need a way to get out of their poverty and whatever the circumstances wow. they are from. And he set up the scholarship fund. So for me, it's a similar way is like one I'm able to, we should be able to help the next generation and pay it forward. And I believe we pick education because it is a force multiplier. Um, so that, that's been 
from the very beginning of the company, we we kind of like set it aside. But then climate change has become, you know, the crisis of our generation. And we realize that we're not working on solving the problem personally, right? Our day-to-day is thinking about how to solve people's productivity problems, not climate tech. And we kind of look into how can we make an impact? And we know that there is a kind of a gap in funding for fundamental research in climate tech. So, and there are people working on different aspects of climate change in different ways, but kind of like the pre-C stage of climate tech research is very underfunded. And uh, we realized the amount of, you know, donation that we can make, the size of the check that we can make, that space is the perfect fit where you can go in and give 50,000 to a research lab on a very early stage science. And then they write their first two papers. You know, they do the work for first year with a postdoc or a graduate student for a year. And then they write their first two papers. And if it's promising, they are bigger and better fundings from places like NSF that they can get. So we're basically decided that we want to be the pre-seed stage <laughs> funder of climate tech research. And that's that's been really rewarding and a lot of fun for the team. Because we get to read all kinds of proposals and learn about like, oh, these are the type of, you know, technologies and approaches that people are taking. And we're, you know, we're not scientists. We don't know anything. <laughs> but just having some you know, rudimentary layman understanding of the problems that they are working on have been like, it's, it gives us so much hope for the future. And like, I'm so grateful that there are people out there dedicating their life and time. And, you know, like science research is incredibly boring and tedious if you have to do it day to day. So I'm glad that there are people doing it and we were able to support them to get them somewhere that will make an impact for the no, I think I think that's super super interesting. Uh, how you're giving back uh, to to Burma and uh, especially about climate change. And you know, I I, I researched that you read more than fifty books a year. What what advice would you have for founders who've got a busy schedule, uh, and, and even for experienced operators? How how do you keep yourself intellectually challenged? Keep myself continually. Challenge, I think I feed my curiosity. So I don't choose which books to read because of external pressure or like, oh, you ought to read this or random expectation I set on myself. I would be like, oh, I'm really curious about this topic. Um, so we've been working on setting up our sales process for Boomerang. Like we got to where we are today at Boomerang without a sales team so far. And we're starting to set it up. And I was like, okay, how do people approach, you know, sales process? And I don't just go and read specifically like how to set up a sales process. I'm reading things like, um, you know, to sell is human, like kind of the philosophy behind selling or how do people think about selling in a larger context besides just software sets, right? So I think for me, it's like, mainly feeding my curiosity. And then there are plenty of like classes, business books that I haven't been able to get through because they don't like teach me anything that I didn't know before, or I just am not enjoying it. 
So the reason I can finish 50 books a year is I read what I enjoy and I don't finish books that I don't enjoy. So if I feel like I'm not enjoying or like feeling like it's a chore to get through a book, I don't read. I have plenty, like, you know, it's 50 books a year. I finish. I probably start like a hundred a year because I will start and be like, oh my God, no, I can't get through this. And then I just abandon it. Hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it, it happens with me as well. You know, uh, initially when I started reading, I was like, I'll go through the entire book. But now I'm like, yeah, no, I don't, I don't find it. Sure. There are so many great books out there, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Totally get that. For the record, like not all the books I read are intellectually stimulating. Some of them are just fun. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, uh, I quickly want to do, do the top three and just want to know, you know, what's, what's your favorite fiction, nonfiction book that you read? Favorite fiction is called, it's not a very well-known book, but it's well-known in fantasy uh, called The Lies of Locke Lamora by Scott Lynch. It's just, um, it's fun and like surprisingly wise. And then the fiction, uh, non-fiction, I would say uh, influence is uh, I think by C.L. Dini, you know, everybody Probably, I think I love thinking about how you can be more persuasive. And then flow, I can't pronounce the author name, is it changes the way I think about productivity and how I design my day-to-day life. Awesome. Got it, got it. We'll, we'll put that in the show notes. And, uh, you know, if you could go back in time when you started Boomerang, what is the one thing you would have focused on or done anything differently? Huh. I think take more risks. Uh, We have been very conservative in how much to spend and grow. But I mean, it it comes from, you know, the fact that we were almost bootstrap, right? Not quite bootstrap. We have the seed funding, but we didn't take as big of a swing as some of the opportunities that we saw. And be we have been a little bit more conservative than we probably should have. <laughs> uh, we I believe that we play not to lose rather than play to win. And I think it came from fundamentally, right? The three co-founders, we didn't come from wealthy backgrounds, right? I'm an Im- I was an immigrant. I was on, you know, I came to MIT with whatever is in my pocket and that's it. Everything else was student loans and scholarship. And figured out how to survive from there. And my co-founder, Alex, you know, he also didn't come from family with, you know, money and resources to fall back on, right? So for us, this is, you know, a basket that we can break, right? Like this is the, so I think a lot of choices that we made were making sure we don't fail. Making sure that we this doesn't go to zero rather than going from how do we make it a billion dollar company. So if we play from a defensive position and overall it's not a bad place to be where we are, right? We yep. control our destiny. We can do quirky things like build schools in Burma and donate climate tech funds because we didn't take on funding. And you know, personally, financial-wise, we got to a pretty decent spot anyway. So it's perfectly fine for what we value in our personal values and lives. But 
I think we may have made even bigger impact than we did if we take a little bit more risk. Got it. Uh, no, I think uh, you've done really well for yourself. You know, Boomerang is it's quite a brand name, so congratulations on that. And uh, and lastly, do you, you have any favorite online tool? Uh, anything other than Boomerang? Uh, yeah, aside from Boomerang, I've been really enjoying a service called Flow Club these days. It's a online co-working, virtual co-working community. You show up for you know a dedicated time. You describe what you're going to work on. And then you go on mute, video on, and then work with other people that you don't know together. And then once the time is up, you kind of talk through like, hey, what did you get done? So it's kind of like a very interesting accountability and like getting through the things that you don't want to do. Very interesting. I've never heard about it. I'm, I'm going to uh, look into this uh, and put that in the show notes. Uh, what is the best way people can reach out to you and know more about Boomerang? Uh, I am on Twitter at AMO, my full name, A-Y-E-M-O-A-H. Uh, that's probably the easiest. Well, if Twitter is <laughs> no longer around, find me on LinkedIn. I'm pretty easy to find. Again, my name is unique and you know easy to find. So that's probably where you should find me. Uh, Boomerang is at boomerangapp.com. Uh, all the products that we make for Gmail, Outlook, iOS and Android are available there. And if you haven't checked it out, you should definitely check out our new meeting scheduling tools. We are kind of doing what meeting scheduling problems to what we did for email follow-up problems. I think this is how people should be scheduling meetings in the next decade and beyond. Oh, wonderful. We'll put that in the show notes. Uh, and, um, Omo, thank you so much for taking the time and speaking to us. I really enjoyed my conversation with you. Thank you for making the time, and it was a great conversation. I had a lot of fun. Thanks, Rohit. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com. <laughs>